if everything's ready here on the dark side of the moon, play the pipe tones. The thing is, is the, is the truth is, I think that I started to direct movies as a kid. I was I had a lot of anxiety. I was a kid that was dealing with a lot of uh, fears and 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 uh, I was very afraid of the world. And as I was going to sleep, the only way I could sleep was to start to design stories in my mind. And, that uh, this idea that uh, stories could help me to deal with my anxiety and my relationship with the world and started that childhood, I think, because very early on I was drawn to writing. I thought I would write at the beginning. I don't think I have, I'm good enough for that. But I, I, uh, I discovered the job of a director early on and I started to be more and more obsessed with this idea of telling stories with a camera. Not having the chance to have a camera at the time, it was not a, but I was storyboarding. I had a friend that was very good. We were both, he was drawing, I was telling stories and we were creating worlds like that very early on. And uh, it's like, a, it was a way to uh, trying to understand the world around me and to escape in some times probably. And uh, so, yeah, that's the way I started to make movies, I think. Everybody, welcome to the Friday week ending cap small episode of A Love of the Process, whatever we're calling it these days. <laughs> Hi, welcome to the show. It's been a while since I've done one of these just because honestly, I've been really fucking busy. All right, deal with it. <laughs> no, I've been. Uh, Kind of slammed. I've been uh, in the process of uh, trying to create uh, character sketches and uh, concept art for one of the projects, and it does take a lot of time. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I played the opening clip from this. That is Denis 
Vanille. He is the director of Blade Runner 29, or no, sorry, Blade Runner 2049. Jesus Christ. Don't you think I've been doing this show long enough that I'd have my shit together? That I would know how to get this mouth to work right? Let me have, let me have a drink of water. Let's see if we can do that. Mm. He also directed Arrival. Those of you who saw Arrival, Prisoners, Sicario. Amazing director. I just saw a really cool interview. I'll put a link below. Uh, he did an interview talking about the upcoming Dune movie. I am very excited about it. I love this director. He can do no wrong. He has consistently proven himself to be a master at this at this game. Uh, and this is a really great interview. There is a YouTube video up. It's uh, Secrets of Dune. Uh, and he talks a little bit about the casting for the new movie. But more importantly, the stuff that I found interesting about it, and I took a lot of notes. Um, uh, he talks about how he casts, but he also talks about how he uh, directs and gets kind of deep into directing and designing sequences. Uh, really cool clip. Very inspiring. And it's, it's relevant to me right now because I'm in the process of doing that. Uh, directing is all about homework. It's all about preparation. It's all about uh, spending the time on my own and sort of trying to figure out how this movie comes together. What do the pieces look like? What is the edit going to look like? What does the casting look like? What does the world feel like? Uh, is there any sort of poetry to it? Is there visual poetry? If you watch this clip, you'll, you'll get that reference. Um, I love and hate this part um, because it's, it's exciting because you're designing the world. You really have no restrictions, but it's also very lonely. And so oftentimes I'll be sketching or doing something and I'm like either sending it to Gina or sending it to friends of mine and going, isn't this really cool? And they're like, wow, it's really cool. What's it going to be for? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I know. It's just a tiny piece, but it's exciting. Share it with me, please. Give me some feedback. Um, welcome to the show. I'm just going to catch up with you guys today. I want to talk a little bit about uh, designing sequences, right? And how I go, my process for going through and uh, uh, getting to the point where I'm storyboarding, getting to the point where I'm breaking down sequences and putting them together. Um, and then we talk a lot on the show about building your toolkit. And for those of you new to the show who haven't heard that saying yet, basically, what I am calling a toolkit is essentially all of those experiences, all those influences, all of those things that you have learned, you stack away and you put it in your toolkit and then you go do a gig, you go do a job and you, you got to reach into that toolkit more often than not to try to get yourself out of a problem, to try to figure out a sequence, to try to dial in the emotion that the sequence requires, that the scene requires, right? Because at the end of the day, I think a lot of folks that are making movies right now have forgot this. I think, in my opinion, a great movie is a movie filled with those scenes that you can't forget. Moments that when you remember them and when you talk about them, you want to watch the movie again, right? Think about how many movies have those for you. Think about how many modern movies have those for you. And there are quite a few out there, but not as many for me, as there used to be, right? You think about, uh, let's see, let's, let's dig back, right? What about the sequence where 
Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, and Howard Ramis get into an elevator and they are stressing out because it's the first time that they've ever switched on their proton packs. Right? Actually, I think I had that sound clip saved in here. Let me see if I can do this. Remember that? Let's see. Hold on a second, guys. You can tell that I've totally prepped for today's episode. Here we go. Ready? You know, it's just occurred to me we really haven't had a completely successful test of this equipment. I blame myself. So do I. Well, no sense worrying about it now. Why worry? Each of us is wearing an unlicensed nuclear accelerator on his back. Yep. Let's get ready. Switch me on. When I hear that, when I think about that sequence, and I think about the following sequence where they come out of the elevator and they blast the maid as she's walking down the hallway because they think she's a ghost, those sequences make me want to go watch the movie again. Right? Simple little moments that really stick with us. You start thinking about... Uh, in Mad Max, when uh, he literally goes to the front of the truck after he's agreed to let Furiosa back into the vehicle and they're going to team up to get away from uh, the, the crew after them. And he goes to the portion of like pulling all those different guns out from all those different spots. I love that sequence. Little moments that I think about and I'm like, man, I got to watch that fucking movie again. That's what, as a director, that's what I want to design, right? Those little bits, Bruce Willis in the fucking bathroom, pulling glass out of his foot, remembering what a piece of shit he was to his wife. Love that scene. What are some of your favorite scenes? What are some of your favorite moments, right? The mom and gremlins, having to battle the gremlins, put the gremlin in the microwave in the blender. Love that sequence. <laughs> or the crotchety old lady from the bank that rides, she has that Stairmaster that goes down the stairs. Love that sequence. I love that stuff. And there are so many of these sequences for me that come out of Spielberg movies. And I know there are people out there that are like, he's too sentimental as a director and yada, yada. He's a goddamn master, all right? So shut your mouth. <laughs> he's a master at what he does. Uh, and just the blocking alone. How many of you have seen Munich? Right? Eric Bana. Great movie. Fantastic cast. Um, what's his name? James Bond. Daniel Craig is in that. And it's a great performance from him in that. He's not playing James Bond. He's playing a great performance. That whole cast, the ensemble in Munich is amazing. And there's a specific sequence where he just... Uh, his blocking and his camera blocking, he does this sequence where, they, where they're sitting outside of a house and they're waiting. They're looking up into an apartment and they're scouting it out and they're getting ready to bomb this place. They're going to plant a bomb. And he does this whole beautiful one dolly track around this car. And you're seeing everybody talk. Someone speaks in a rearview mirror. Someone speaks in a side mirror. Someone speaks through a window. We see a reflection in the window, what they're looking at. It is gorgeous. I just talking about that now. I think I'm going to watch Munich tonight. That's the kind of stuff that I'm setting out to make personally. And of course, it's a tall order. These guys have been doing it for years. And they've been practicing this stuff for, for fucking centuries. 
<laughs> and it's it's a difficult thing to practice until you're into that position to do it, until you have the resources, until you have all that stuff. And in the meantime, we can practice the little, the little skills, right? I can learn how to make camera moves mean something. I can learn how to position uh, uh, actors based upon the lens I'm using. I can learn how music cues do different things. I, I, I've been studying all these little techniques and then you're taking those little exercises that you do and then you're making them into shorts and you're examining scenes and you're examining that and then you're taking all the abilities that you learn from shorts and then you're putting them into like paid projects like music videos or something else and then you're, you're figuring that out and then you get the audience response. If you're lucky enough to do a music video that's got a large audience then you can get that specific response from them. Like, we really cried during this sequence. We love this. And you're like, fuck, okay, that stuff's working. Great, 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 great. But it's all in theory. It's all in theory until you can start playing in the big leagues, right? I'm ready, coach. Put me in. I am ready. Put me into the fucking game. Uh, so that's kind of what I'm at right now. So today's episode... I just wanted to talk a little bit about that, man, because this is where my world is. That's where I've been. That's why those of you who have been enjoying our Friday episodes, you haven't got one in two weeks um, because I've been doing character sketches. Now, I'd love to share this stuff with you guys, but it's still hush-hush top secret, so I can't actually show you the work that I'm doing, but I can talk about it. Um, and as I sat down to do my storyboarding for a bunch of these sequences... Uh, I realized that it would be smarter, it would be more beneficial for me to actually spend some time and sketch out what each of the characters in the story are going to look like. And this is kind of new for me. I've, I've roughly done it in the past, but there's so much. In this new project, I basically have a pretty good ensemble of people that are going to be in it. And what they look like is so very important because ultimately what you need to do with any film is create a sense of connection with the audience to give them something that feels familiar right and that could be anything from the way you light a scene that could be choosing a music track to play in that sequence that stirs memories with a huge chunk of that audience um, but it also has a lot to do it could be as simple as the type of boot, the type of shirt, the type of coat that you wear. And I was saying to Gina last night, I'm very excited about our movie because our movie is a winter movie. It essentially happens in the wintertime. And I, as far as wardrobe concerns, I think men look so much better when they have layers. I've always thought that. If you're making a summertime movie and it's a dude in a V-neck and some fucking loose cotton shorts... He looks like a dweeb. <laughs> I, don't care. I don't care how fucking hot you are. It's still like, oh, really? Okay, so what are we going to address? You ever notice that? Like guys' clothes for fucking warm weather, they're just boring. Women's clothing when it comes to warm weather get more interesting. But it's the, I think it's the opposite when it comes to cold weather because then the shit gets cool on dudes, right? So you've got multiple layers. You've got your texture of your undershirt. You have your texture... If you're wearing like a long shirt, like a, um, not like an insulated shirt, what do they call those fucking things? Not like a long john, but you know what I'm saying? Like the, like the, uh, the waffle sort of hatched sleeve stuff. And maybe that's coming out from underneath a rolled up sleeve, uh, flannel, right? And then that's underneath like a really cool textured jacket or coat. All of these layers add personality 
to actors, add personality to performers and give them something additional. I love that stuff, especially when you've got multiple layers and you can start to take layers off and it transforms them, reveals another color, reveals another uh, subliminal tease into what they're feeling in that moment, what their mood is. It gets really fucking exciting, as opposed to just like, I'm wearing shorts and sandals. <laughs> I'm sure I'll do summer movies, but... <sighs> Don't be surprised. And if the, for those of you, if you go back and you've seen my other work, if you've seen 12 Cam, the proof of concept for that, or you've seen uh, who's there, this will make sense to you now. I just love layers on actors. I think it's really cool. And that sort of theme runs into every other part of the sequence for me. I like layering sequences with as much, Denis calls it visual poetry, right? Um, I, just, I call it the smell, right? The way the scene smells. And I know it's weird because when you go watch a movie, you can't smell a fucking movie, but it's still, when it's good, right? When it's textured, when you, when you get into that space and there's the roaring fire and the light is reflecting off certain things the right way, and you've got haze, you've got atmosphere, right? And you've got that music. It's still triggering. It's, it's triggering that same sense that you get when you smell something. You walk into that old house and you just look at it on that screen and you go, I could smell the mildew. I could smell the fact that the wood that they used to construct these stairs was built in the 1900s. I could smell that. Uh, it's weird. It's a weird way to describe it. I don't know. I'm, a, I'm kind of a fucking lunatic with that shit. But um, I love that stuff. And I'm talking about it because this is what's on my brain. Right, so as I as I go through and look at a script, because I've got a fantastic script written by Will Simmons, fantastic script written by him, um, which is it's such a it's such a sigh of relief to have really good content on the page because it makes my life a lot easier, right? And not easy, just easier, because then it's my job to go in between the lines. It's my job to look at that dialogue and look at that sequence and for that very short sort of subject heading where it's like two people walk into this space. Okay, what does this space look like? What does that walk-in feel like? Are you with them? Are you watching them, right? How does that feel? All those things are really fascinating. And when I, when I look at something like that, if I read a header like that, I end up going through the whole scene, right? So you read the header and you go through the whole scene. You go, okay. Who's in control of this sequence? Or who's going to end in control of this sequence? And what do both people want? And what does the audience want out of this sequence? Right? And so you're taking that trilogy, you're taking all those different thoughts, and you're going, okay, so knowing what this character wants and who are we riding with and who, we, who do we want to be with, and does it stay that way towards the end of the scene? Does it swap? Does that power position swap? How do I show that subconsciously? Right? And it could be as simple as like, you know, simple, simple, simple shit, right? Good guy, bad guy stuff, right? In the sequence, uh, the one that is feeling, uh, the one is uh, the one that's a bad guy, the one that's a bit more shady is talking in the shadows. You never really see his face, right? Maybe we're never really seeing a full funnel of him. We're never really seeing his eyes, right? And the one that we're connecting with, we're on a 50 mil and we're right on him, right? And we're with him. Or... We're next to him, we're slightly over his shoulder, and we're still seeing his profile as we look at this other person and we're seeing it from that perspective. These really subtle tricks 
really subtle techniques that a lot of people don't talk about. We spend so much time sort of obsessing over like, yeah, but what camera are you shooting that with? Who gives a fuck? That is so secondary to the narrative, to the poetry, right? What does the lighting feel like? What is the colors? Okay, so as you know, if you go dig deep, you can not even dig deep, just do a fucking Google search, all right? And you can find what different colors mean to us on a psychological level, right? Red signifies hunger. There's all these different subliminal, subconscious effects that lighting and color have on us. And so if you can examine those things, then you can use those. You put those in that fucking toolbox. Put them in your toolbox again, right? And then sit there and go, I think... I want the audience to be with this character in this sequence and I want them to feel the anxiety that this character has as they walk down into the space because the space is scary and this character is only 11 years old, right? What was it like to walk through a room as an 11-year-old? Do you remember? I do. I remember that you're seeing most people from their, at their waist level. So you're examining things like belt buckles. You're examining things like keychains. You know? You're looking at how people's hands are and how they hold things, how they eat things. Very detail-oriented stuff from a child's perspective. You're very easily distracted too, by the way. Right? Because it's a wild world, right? Interesting fucking space. You're trying to take it all in. So you're very easily pulled from place to place. So what does that look like visually? It's fascinating, right? What lens would you use for that? If you, were, if you were coming into a space, right? Into a scary space with an 11-year-old, what lens would you use? And they're, what are they feeling? A lot of anxiety, apprehension, false bravery, right? Hmm. Where would I be for that? What does the space look like? Is it, can they see everything? Can they see how big it is? And in that expanse, is that scary? Or can they not see everything? Can they just hear everything? And then they can't see much. So then turn off all the fucking lights, right? Are they carrying a flashlight? Or are they dealing with some distant light that's lighting up a back wall somewhere and all they can see are silhouettes of the shit that they're fucking afraid of. It's cool, right? That's the cool stuff. That's the alone stuff. That's the stuff that you're thinking about by yourself. So as you read that sequence and it's so-and-so walks down the stairs to find his dad, but has to go through the scary fucking basement. And you're like, okay. And on the page, that may just be a sentence. You know, Timmy descends into the basement, walks up behind his dad. But as a director, as you're building this tone for this movie, you expand upon that. That one line can take you a whole afternoon to shoot because you need to build that tension, right? Or you need to build that atmosphere. I really love this new interview with Denis because he really talks about building tension and really talks about building suspense. And this motherfucker is the master at it. Sicario, prime example. That movie in its entirety is a masterclass at suspense. 
boiling the water, as he says. You boil that water and runs. Once it gets to a boil, you cut away. Boom, done. He's awesome at it, man. Really good at it. Um, and back to Spielberg again. One thing I love about him is his blocking, right? <clears throat> Excuse me, as I lose my voice today. This is the second podcast I'm recording today, so my voice may crack a few times <sighs> as I drink water obnoxiously. With the compressor on, that was probably like a knife going through your fucking head. Um, Spielberg. I consistently go back to this guy. And I go back to this guy and I watch his stuff. And I get lost in it. I try to examine it from a creator's perspective. And I continuously get lost in it. So I have to watch clips over and over again. But let's do a little exercise, okay? We're hanging out. Let's examine how a scene is put together by him, by the master of this stuff. I'm going to watch a clip. I'm going to put this clip right now. I'll put it underneath this episode on inlovewiththeprocess.com, okay? Or I'll put a link in the description below. All right, so I'll give you guys a chance to load this clip up. It is a clip that's on YouTube. It is a clip from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. It is the infamous Kalima clip. Those of you guys who love this movie. Uh, and before we watch this thing, let me cue it up. Before we watch this thing, remember the sequence. Do you guys remember the first time that Indy sort of walks into the space and sees the setup? Sees the room full of the chanting folks that are in there. The cage. Remember that fucking cage that they put the guy in? Ay, ay, ay. That cage was so fucking stressful as a kid. This sequence in general was insanely stressful as a child. <laughs> I can't believe this movie got away with a PG-13. I think they started to change the rating system after this movie was that came out. Um, but anyway, let's examine this sequence and we'll play it here. Uh, like I said, you can view it on your own. There'll be a link below. Click on that. Um, but let's watch through this sequence, and I'll tell you the things I love about it. All right, let's start from the beginning here. Let's see if this will come through. Hold on. Okay. Okay. Okay, just that opening shot. This is a prime example of Spielberg's mastery. Okay, so I just stopped it like 16 seconds in. Just that opening shot where he introduces Indy again in a silhouette. This is something that he has established throughout the series. He established it in the first film. We actually are introduced to Indiana Jones as a silhouette, as a, someone from the third perspective looking at him doing this and, and looking at the map, and we follow his two guides as he comes to the cave, right? He does that again here. We're establishing the icon the iconic silhouette that Indy has with that, that hat, that fedora that he wears. Perfect, perfect outfit choice for this character. There are so many things about this character's outfit choice that make me so happy. The hat is amazing. His pants are amazing. They're cut to his body. They're still kind of loose. His boots are fucking outstanding. I've, obviously, the whip is the shit, right? But his belt is amazing. His little, like, man purse thing that he wears, what is that? right? Why does that look cool on him? I don't know. It just fucking does. 
I love that stuff. I love that he gets us into this scene by establishing that silhouette, that hat. And notice, Indy walks and looks over the ridge down below. Normally, this would be a very simple shot. If it was shot by anybody else, it would be just a shot of down below, maybe a push-in behind, and Indy steps in and looks down, right? But Spielberg does something different. He actually puts the dolly on almost like this parallel track with the ledge, allowing Indy to walk out into it. And it's super cool because Indy changes, his profile changes like two or three times before he lands on the final shot of the altar and everything. It's all one take. It's so fucking fascinating. It's such an interesting move. And it's a simple thing. It's blocking. It's a camera on a dolly that moves in one direction and then has Harrison Ford step through it to give him all these different looks. Let me watch it again here. Hold on. So you get high and above. In the very beginning, it looks like it's lit by moonlight. And he's signaling to the others. And then he steps down. Camera's moving on that same parallel track. And then he becomes a silhouette. Super cool, right? And then you that would end. But then he moves into this profile silhouette and then moves again. Why do that? He didn't need to do that. But making it profile added this sort of sense of desperation. He just, he needs to see more. As he moves further with the audience, as the audience needs to see more, as we start to reveal more of that altar. Fuck, that's advanced shit. And I know it doesn't seem like advanced shit, but that's advanced shit. All right, let's keep playing. 15 seconds, starting now. I love these, like, push-ups. He's the man when it comes to response, or, or not even response, reactionary shots. Half his movies are scary as fuck or mean something because of the reactionary shots. Go back and think about it, right? The classics. Fucking Close Encounters. How much of that movie is just... A bunch of fucking nerdy scientists looking at a bunch of blinking lights and the camera is just pushing on them. And they do, like, he does these really good, iconic, low-angle push-ups, push-ins, reveals, roll-arounds. He does this really great stuff. I was practicing the hell out of that stuff when I did the 12 cam short. Um, and uh, Kruder and I still haven't mastered it. Continuing, 26 in. Sweet, very cool, wide. I love the lighting too, by the way. Uh, I can't remember the cinematographer, but he was a, uh, a legend. I think it's the right guy. I think he ended up going blind, which is a fucking heartbreaking story but his lighting is so beautiful the edge lighting that he has on uh, k capshaw is amazing um the way that her face is half covered in red that was a choice that wasn't an accident so interesting these inserts these push-in inserts of the skull of the god atmosphere and haze Uh, so so cool and what normally would just be a cutaway of that guy playing the drums he does this really cool push in which not only reveals more stuff but it also adds this sense of like suspense and tension 
subconsciously because the camera's moving and the camera's moving slowly and the camera's revealing more horrific stuff. Fucking love it. We're at 107 in now. Uh, okay. I cannot wait to start playing with this stuff and it really is a budgetary thing. I mean, how many extras does he have here? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 in that front row. So that would be 28. So he's got a, at least 100 extras, right, in the sequence. And I love it when you get 100 people to all move the same way at the same time in a wide shot. It's so cool. It not only does it add a sense of gravity to... Uh, reaction from a character, right? So if a, like a, if a character is saying something, you see this in a lot of old Kurosawa movies, which I fucking love. And uh, they'll have like um, a dojo or they'll have uh, a samurai. Um, what do they call that? Not a temple. Jesus Christ. But anyway, there'll be a space where there's like a bunch of different uh, samurais all reacting to their master. Their master will say something emotional and they they all fucking move. They all move at the same time. Fucking love that. Because it, it adds an exclamation point to whatever that performer is doing. It is like the perfect leg up for that actor, right? So if you're saying something that's powerful, if you're saying something, if you're not even fucking saying something, if you're just looking, right? And moving, and subtly doing something and the room shifts. Super fucking cool. It's like it's like sound waves. Right? I love that. It 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 punctuates emotion, it punctuates action, but then it also changes the way that the frame looks. It changes the way that the light looks through the room. So in this bit here, I paused at 113. Okay. In this bit when they all duck down, the light in the room changes, the shadows change. Super cool cutaway of them all chanting. Fuck, there's a lot of people in that room. The haze. Adding a simple smoke machine to make it seem like it's a hot fucking chamber. Really cool. The guy playing the priest is fucking great. Sound design. Creating those elements that you as the audience will find relatable, right? Chains. We all know what the sound of chains sound like. There's a reason why those are, those, are ele those are evident in the mix, right? Whenever you see something horrific, if you've ever seen something horrific in your life, it's always these little details that stick with you. It's always that little fucking thing that sticks with you. And that's what they're trying to do here. See, I'm getting chills. I've already lost in this. I've already lost in his coverage. It happens every fucking time. <laughs> I'm already lost in it. So I get chills at this point, and it's the desperation. The, the performance on this guy getting chained in is so good, and the desperation, and then the sounds, the chain sounds, and the chanting sounds in the background, and then this like over the shoulder, I just paused at 205, this over the shoulder of the priest walking up is fascinating okay so let's just say this 
you would think that it would be more scary, more in the position of the guy chained to this thing if you were from his perspective completely, right? So if you were to put the camera there and you would have it be a POV shot and this guy walks looking into the camera, you would think that that would be scarier than this over-the-shoulder shot, but it's not. And the thing, I think the benefit that you're getting out of it is not only that perspective, right, that you would get from a POV, but then you also have the opportunity to see the performance of the person in that POV. So whether or not he shakes, what does he do here? He's breathing. And look at the camera move. Fuck, man. God damn it. He's so good. Because normally that would just be a lock-off. Right? You just stick it on a lock-off, you put it there, and the person would walk up into that shot. How many times do we see that on TV? Okay, maybe it's not a lock-off, maybe it's a handheld lock-off, which essentially means it's a handheld camera that does that bullshit shake shit that doesn't mean anything, right? And they're just like, over the camera, over the shoulder, over the shoulder, over the shoulder, over the shoulder. He puts a fucking move in that. He does this like lateral fucking move that slightly sneaks around it and gives us more. And that movement adds to that suspense. It's just pulling us. It's pulling us through. God damn it, it's good shit. All right, let's continue. I'm at 2.12. The goddamn contrasted lighting. So beautiful on his face. This is the reaction shot of just them watching. Amazing. response and cut perfect okay so let's go back and talk about the fact that I probably saw this movie when I was 13 years old <laughs> he just pulled his fucking heart out <laughs> scared the shit out of me when I was a kid scared the shit out of me when I was a kid uh, but I love it. You can see the difference in the lighting a little bit there when it cuts into the insert, but I love it. It's got charm. It's got character. And they have that like that fake dummy chest cavity that just allows him to put his hand through it. So simple. So simple. It works so well. Those old tricks, you're going to see me use the fuck out of those in my movies. They're so simple, so easy, so much fun, Right? They may not look as clean and crisp as the CGI versions of this, but they're, and people try to verbalize what this is. They're like, it just looks better if there's something practical there. I think it's all the mistakes. I think it's all of the elements in that, like the hair looking off, the armpit looking weird. These just weird little details that we attach to, right? And if you're in it, if the story's good, if the storyteller's good, if the poetry is right, then you don't give a fuck, right? You don't care. So you're just in it and you go with it. And you just remember these little details like the flesh color in that insert. Ugh, it's gross. It's gross. Now the heart really isn't beating, but the sound makes it feel like it is. Oh, there's the close-up reversal on that. So disgusting. Everybody stands up. See how it changes the space? 
Every camera is moving at one point or another. Oh my god, I love that. Okay, I love when we cut to Kate Capshaw and she can't look and she's just breathing and it has that, I like to call it Seagal slash across her face. Fucking, fucking perfect. Does that lighting make sense? No. But what is the purpose of that lighting? It's to show the anxiety in her eyes, right? It's to actually sit there and go, this is what you should be looking at. The fucking anxiety in her eyes. Oh, I love it. Such a cool, simple sequence. So great what a little bit of hazers and smoke machines and lighting can do. Now, let me pause it here. When you actually see down into the pit, all of these effects, these aren't computer-generated effects. This is prior to computer shit. The way that they got this stuff done is they would do, uh, I forget what they call it, cloud tanks, I think is what they call it. They would do science experiments essentially in fish tanks or large tanks of water. So if you mix salt water and fresh water and then introduce different chemicals into that, you'll get this fascinating cloud formation and swirls and all this stuff. This is a technique that they used to use all the time. So like think Ghostbusters, right? Top of the building explodes, uh, Dana's apartment blows up and you have that cloud that, that creates almost like that face in that cloud. As it blows out, that was done in like a fish tank. Uh, I think uh, uh, the, the clouds in the skies for close encounters, right? Those epic sort of matte painting clouds that would move about fish tank. Crazy, right? Cool shit. Let's get back into it. Such a cool device. The thing that's also really great about it is that there are so many different... So many different things needed to lower this guy down into the hole, right? It could have been simple. It could have just been a guy with a rope and then you would just lower him down in the hole. But you got all these different techniques that are needed, right? So you got to lift the cage out. The cage comes out. It's got to swing. And it comes down into that, into that position. You got to like open it up. You got to fucking chain him into it. But then it just you change. They use like these like clasps that cover his wrists, right? You close him up. You rip his heart out. You flip them back around. So there's all these great steps involved with it. And then the door chambers have to open. And then there's this guy at a fucking handle, at a lever, who's just like, here's the death lever. And he hits that thing. So when you're designing this out, this may just say in the script, uh, guy gets lowered into the hole, rips his heart out and lowered into the hole. Spielberg is designing all these different little things. And do you think this is like, Based upon history, do you think somewhere there was a torture chamber that Spielberg found the fucking plans for and was like, hey, this is how we're going to design it? No, he's smart. He knows that to build suspense, you have all these different little moments that are happening, right? Open the thing, do the thing, push the lever, boom, 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 boom. You have all these great cutaways and great characters that are working these cutaways. The guy that's doing the lever, I've always loved that fucking guy. Let me go back. Hold on. And rewind. You know where I'm going to be at. I'm at 3.39. Yeah. <laughs> the insert of the guy on that lever with the fucking skull makeup on and that smile, that fucking grin, that I am barbecuing grin on his face. Come on, man. It's the shit. It's 
Scary as fuck. There's that some of that cloud shit. All these inserts. All these inserts. And there's that great Kate Capshaw again. And dude, at this point, okay, so they're not lowering a real spoiler alert. They're not lowering a guy into a lava pit. They're literally lowering a guy into probably a row of lights, which are probably hot at this time because it was all tungsten sources. But they're lowering him down into these through some smoke machines, through some haze, right? But at this point, I just paused at 4.05, okay? At this point, I am imagining his flesh searing to those metal rails. I feel it. I taste it. I can smell this. Why? Why can I smell this sequence? So cool. Looks like it's like animated miniature stuff when they start to burn him. So cool. Yep, and then they slow it down, the chanting changes. And then you have the guys going over to the lever system where they have to pull the thing up. Look at all the smoke coming out from behind that thing. It's completely unnatural. So cool. What, do they paint this thing red like that? When the, when the cage comes out? Notice again, all his cutaways, his cameras are moving. The indie one, indie's moving into it. Movement everywhere. Look at his framing when these when the okay so when the three guys sort of come towards camera and they reveal the stones immaculate right i just paused at 505 beautiful frame if this this could be a national geographic photograph which i guarantee you that was probably his mood board stuff all the guys reacting they could have all stood up at the same time why did he have them stand up row after row because it's fucking dynamic <laughs> Short round walks in, music comes down, it's all about the bells. Very typical church bell, right? What does that bell usually signify? The end, right? Boom. Very intentional. There are bells in there. It sticks the stones in the eyes. Fucking short round, flipping out. That kid would be shitting his fucking pants. <laughs> So good. Simple effect shots. I never really noticed the lava. I just noticed that. Pretty cool. By the way, first bit of dialogue from them in a while. So cool. Why did the red, why did they do the red across their face like that? And then all those people walking off. Look at how the room changes. I want you two to stay up here and keep quiet. Shorty, you keep an eye on her. Why? Where are you going? Down there. Down there? Are you crazy? I'm not leaving here without the stones. 
You could get killed chasing after your damn fortune and glory. So cool, right? So cool. The setup, all that stuff, all that suspense has really given Harrison Ford the best platform to be the best hero possible. Not even a hero in the sequence. He's kind of a fucking dirtbag in this movie, which I really dig. But it sets everything up for him. And it's really cool, right? So not only has Spielberg pulled us into that space and essentially taken, which was probably a description that said uh, they walk into the chamber, look down and witness this thing. Guy gets put in a cage, gets his heart ripped up, gets lowered in a hole. It's horrific. (laughs) Knowing screenplays is probably something simple like that. And so Spielberg went through and basically designed that thing. And I wasn't counting shots, right? But off the top of my head, there's at least 30, right? At least 30 setups in there, right? Hundreds of extras. Beautifully shot sequence. And one of those scenes that is memorable, I know for a fact that you guys are listening to this and potentially watching that clip are now wanting to watch the entire Temple of Doom movie. Because it's a good one. And it's loaded with these sequences. And that's what I love about the Indiana Jones franchise is it's a fantastic study on like blocking. Fucking camera blocking and actor blocking. It's amazing for it. Editing and sequence editing. Fuck yeah. Love that stuff. This is the type of stuff that I'm watching as I start to plan on my stuff. And I may be doing a scene that isn't a dude getting his heart ripped out and getting lowered into a fucking flaming pit. Maybe it's something simpler. Um, but it's the same theory, right? Each one of those shots was stirring specific emotions within you. Uh, I love this shit. Really cool stuff. So if you guys have seen my movies, if you get a chance to see my movies, you'll see a lot of this stuff in there. This is what, in my humble opinion, this is what directing is. This is what being a storyteller is. And this is why making movies is so exciting because we get to use all these subliminal things to make you feel something that isn't there, to make you afraid of a fucking screen. (laughs) Ah. I love this shit. I love, love, love this shit. So anyways, I hope that, uh, I think we're going to call it there. I hope that you guys found some of that stuff informative. I tried to go a little bit deeper than I normally do um, on the show. um, And uh, hopefully you guys dig it. And thank you guys for following us always. Thanks for following the regular podcast, the uh, weekly Tuesday podcast. In Love With The Process podcast where I have guests on the show and we talk about stuff that inspires us. It isn't just me sitting here blabbing and watching YouTube with you guys. Um, But uh, we've had a bunch of really great guests on the show and a bunch of technicians that have worked on movies like this and people that give us, uh, give me rather, further insight into how these things are made because as I was sitting here going, I wonder how they did that. Those are the questions I like to ask. So tune in, stay with us, come by Tuesdays. We try to do it every week. We've been pretty good about it this season. Um, We've got a bunch of great episodes coming out. I think next week's episode is a good one. With a big cinematographer, big time cinematographer that's doing two movies that I cannot wait to see. 
kind of relevant to everything that we're talking about on this episode. So can't wait to see you guys then. Um, and then as always, continue to follow us on Instagram at Mike Petchy on Instagram or at in love with the process pod. That's in love with the process POD on Instagram. There you can leave suggestions, give feedback. Tell me what you thought about this episode. Did you like doing the walkthrough like this? Would you like to see more of them? And if so, what movies would you like me to watch with you? I'm more than willing to do it, give you my input on it and uh, share these experiences with you. As always, love you guys and I will see you next Tuesday.